Most of this episode will dive into the human behavior aspect. And at the end, I'll share some action ideas. And as a disclaimer, this episode isn't here to place shame or cause division. This is meant to benefit people in three different categories. Those who are new to spirituality and want help navigating the woo waters better. And then those who are intermediate spiritual learners who love aspects of the spiritual, but want to avoid harmful conspiratorial thinking and practices. And then those who are finding themselves being swept away into practices or ideologies that don't sit right, but they can't put a finger on why. My name is Francesca Phillips, and you're listening to The Good Space Podcast, a show where we help you find peace and power in work, relationships, and intuition. The term conspirituality entered my radar after Apple News shared an article from the Los Angeles Times about California's yoga and wellness community having a QAnon problem, which tripped my insatiable curiosity wire. If you know me in real life and have been reading or listening to stuff over the years, you know I am so curious. I am just so fascinated by human behavior. It's why I got my degree in psychology without getting into like, oh, judgments or anything. Like I literally was like, ooh, why? Like why would a community that represents connection, love and acceptance adopt an ideology opposite to that? What's the human behavior aspect behind it? And so I figured since this is very, very relevant to the conversation happening in spirituality and I'm hoping that you listening are also curious about stuff like this. So I'm excited to dive in. I want to talk about conspirituality though, as a foundational whole, not about specific ideologies that grow from it per se. And I'm going to be sharing what I found. Most of this episode will dive into the human behavior aspect. And at the end, I'll share some action ideas. And as a disclaimer, this episode isn't here to place shame or cause division. This is meant to benefit people in three different categories. Those who are new to spirituality and want help navigating the woo waters better. And then those who are intermediate spiritual learners who love aspects of the spiritual, but want to avoid harmful conspiratorial thinking and practices. And then those who are finding themselves being swept away into practices or ideologies that don't sit right, but they can't put a finger on why. For some, hearing this information will feel uncomfortable if it contradicts an identity they've created. Many of us have been conditioned to identify with what we believe. It doesn't help that the ego builds so many walls from the pain, beliefs, and emotions we experience. Contradicting information can make the walls crack or come crashing down and make a person feel vulnerable as if their identity disappeared. That's what causes people to get defensive or argumentative. But really, we exist on a much deeper level. Walls equal limitations. Deep down, most people prefer to fiercely defend their limitations instead of getting to the other side of freedom. Learning and open-mindedness gets you to freedom. The more you learn, the more possibilities for growth and expansion, which is exciting. That's the lens I'm sharing this information from in the hopes it expands what we know and affords us more clarity on how to grow and expand to break down those walls. And if this doesn't do that for you, that's okay too. All right. What is conspirituality? Conspirituality is when spirituality intersects with conspiracy. In 2011, Charlotte Ward and David Voaz wrote an article in the Journal of Contemporary Religion describing conspirituality as, quote, a rapidly growing web movement expressing an ideology fueled by political disillusionment and the popularity of alternative worldviews, 
It offers a broad politico-spiritual philosophy based on two core convictions. The first being a traditional one to conspiracy theory, and then the second rooted in the new age. Okay, so the first of the two core convictions of conspirituality is the person believes a secret group covertly controls or is trying to control the political and social order. And then two, humanity is undergoing a paradigm shift in consciousness. End quote. People who believe this usually think the best strategy to deal is to adopt, as Ward and Voaz would say, an awakened new paradigm worldview. Basically, conspirituality is alternative worldviews mixed with disillusionment and paranoia. In a 2015 article written by Eagle Apsfrom and Asbjorn Durendal, tried my best there, they said conspirituality is not a new or surprising phenomenon. They more or less say that for centuries, cultic environments have been oversaturated with deviant belief systems and practices. The communication channels in these cultic environments tend to be open and fluid as well as the content. Without any resulting standard or logic in place, this enables individuals to, as apps from and Asbjorn say, travel rapidly through a variety of movements and beliefs, thus bridging with ease what may appear on the surface as distinct discourses and practices. Political, spiritual, and pseudoscientific discourses all have a home here and they easily mix. Joined by a common opposition to establishment discourses rather than by positively shared doctrinal content, conspiracy theory affords a common language binding the discourses together. End quote. I took that to mean that in a playground of zero logic or grounding, anything goes. It's common knowledge that the wellness and spirituality world has gray areas or blurred lines, if you will, of the places people will allow themselves to go. Conspirituality gives this phenomenon a name and logical thread of why this happens. The surprising thing is the three rules of conspiracism aren't on their own bad like you would expect. That's what I expected, that if there's any rules of conspiracism, they're going to be cuckoo crazy, but they're actually not. And that was shocking to me. It's only when you add paranoia to it that it becomes harmful. So let's talk more about those three rules and learn more about the conspiracy side of conspirituality. Cult Dynamics researcher and co-host of the Conspirituality podcast, Matthew Remsky, lays out three rules of conspiracism. One, believing the world is like a dream or a mirage and that nothing is as it seems. Two, nothing happens by accident. Three, everything is connected. What's interesting is you can find parallels to this kind of thinking in yoga and even religion. It can provide relief, comfort, and flexibility. Journalist and writer Aaron Bunch says, but if they cross a certain line of paranoia, they can also form the backbone of conspiratorial thinking. So it's not that believing nothing happens by accident or that everything is connected makes you a conspiracy theory supporter. It's when paranoia enters that things can change. She also explains that the more general attraction to conspiracies like QAnon lies in its false promises to fulfill needs, like needing to feel contrary and no secret truths others don't, or the need to survive a disaster or to bond with people who have similar passions and anxieties. So these desires like feeling, wanting to feel contrary and knowing secrets that others don't or bonding with people, they're very strong desires to have. And so when people or things have ulterior motives and really try to manipulate it, that's when honest and true feelings that on the surface aren't like so bad, they get twisted into something dark and bad. And then on top of that, 
many people drawn to spirituality are less inclined to busy themselves with more dry fact-based stuff. They're drawn to finding truth through feelings, but sometimes the truth isn't intuitive. Many times it's scientific, a bit dry, not as exciting, and much more complicated. I am the first person to tell you, I wish the truth was always intuitive and always like good feeling and fun and intriguing, but it it really isn't. It's not like that all the time. Human history is filled with examples of conventional wisdom and accepted truths based on intuition and what feels right being dead wrong. The truth is often more complicated, less satisfying, or not intuitive. Black and white isn't like it's, it, things usually aren't black and white. Let's just put it that way. But many people in the spiritual world make it easy for others to cross over into the conspiracy world by playing on half truths. Authors and influencers package harmful ideologies in a palatable way using pretty graphics or fluffy words. The spiritual and wellness industries are severely unregulated, full of people who have a lot to gain by tugging on your emotional heartstrings to make money and grow their overinflated sense of self and feel powerful. So it's not that people who fall prey to these conspiracies are dumb or bad or not a good person or whatever you want to call it. It really is just that easy. Like the line is so like, it's just like a little tilt, a little bit of a difference that changes it. And so it's crazy. Like you have to be alert and aware and understand all aspects of it, I guess is what I'm trying to say. So now I want to get into this idea of critical spirituality. So I believe when you're aware and intentional about the information you integrate into your life, you experience true freedom and expansion. It's not all or nothing, black or white. You can be woo curious and open to spiritual exploration without having to buy into the paranoia or conspiracy thinking found in some groups. It's called critical spirituality. Jules Evans, a philosopher and research fellow at the Center for the History of the Emotions at Queen Mary University of London, hello, says critical spirituality is where people can access the beneficial sides of spirituality or wellness minus Pizzagate or the perils of 5G. So that's great, right? Like you can completely get the benefits of spirituality without all that other stuff that isn't very helpful and is harmful. Your job is to value vetting where your information is coming from and questioning motives higher than any need for being contrary or belonging. You're still smart, interesting, and unique if research proves you wrong. Probably more so. Like if you are willing to be like, ooh, that research kind of, you know, goes against what I thought was right and you are open to changing that belief, you are actually more evolved and ahead of the game spiritually than other people. Because that's what this life is about. It's about constant expansion and growth, enlightenment. And that takes, that's like an eternal journey. It's not going to happen in the snap of a finger and that's okay. And now I want to also talk about in line with critical spirituality is balancing the Socratic and the ecstatic, which I will break it down for you what that means. Again, Jules Evans, the writer, speaker, and practical philosopher I just mentioned, coined this comparison of the Socratic versus the ecstatic, rational versus non-rational thinking. So I'm not saying that everything has to be rational, intellectualized, that there's no value in the non-rational. There's absolutely value to be found in forms of non-rational thinking like dreams or intuition. They can reveal both new knowledge and heal. But Evans does say, quote, However, it is crucial to balance the capacity for ecstatic, magical, mythical thinking with the capacity for critical thinking. 
too much Socratic thinking without any ecstasy, and you end up with a rather dry and uninspiring worldview. Too much ecstasy without critical thinking, and you may be prone to unhealthy delusions, which you then spread harming others, end quote. So powerful. He continues to say that those who are so sure they're right can fall prey to blocking things that are helpful and spreading things that are harmful. When you're faced with new information and want to make sure it's sound, here are four questions you can ask yourself that Jules Evans recommends. One, what's the source? Is it a reliable media organization? Is it backed up by other reliable sources? Two, how likely is the fact? The less likely, the greater the burden of evidence. Three, is there anything out there suggesting it's fake? Rather than looking for evidence to support our beliefs, can we search for evidence against our beliefs? And again, you want to make sure that any evidence, quote unquote, evidence against our beliefs is, again, a reliable source. Like you don't want to go to some cuckoo crazy, you know, website with no actual accreditation or like validation behind what they're saying to then back up. Like it would just bring you back into that loop again. And then four, can we emotionally accept that our belief might be wrong? That one is can be tough. That can be really tough. But there you go. And if you want to see these four questions, it's in the show notes. So you don't have to worry about writing it down. Okay. To be clear about the second question, how likely is the fact? The less likely, the greater the burden of evidence. Facts aren't opinions. Saying, well, it's how I feel isn't fact and doesn't negate something proven with evidence. Even anecdotes can be dangerous. My experience with someone or something doesn't mean it's universally true as a fact. I've learned over the years that opinion is formed by a person's world of beliefs, experiences, judgments, values, and emotions. Joe Dispenza describes emotions as the chemical consequences or feedback of past experiences. Our perspectives and how we view the world are often formed by the past. So you don't know the kind of beliefs, trauma, judgments, or emotions someone experiences over and over. So when someone gives you information, use those filters, those four questions to decide if it's true or not. Fact is void of judgment and bias. Opinions are dripping with judgment and bias. Knowing and accepting the difference between the two is key. Just because a fact disproves or contradicts an opinion you hold doesn't mean you're dumb and it doesn't mean you're less worthy or valuable. The ideal way to navigate the spiritual waters is to educate yourself and then consult with your intuition the two working together to inform and expand, but denying the existence of facts and favoring opinion over facts isn't a good habit to form when it comes to certain matters. Okay, so how can we take what we just heard and put it into action? So I'll tell you what I ended up doing. After learning about conspirituality, it gave me a better framework for how to know if something is worth adopting or not, because sometimes I feel overwhelmed because I see all these new practices and like ideas and books and, you know, people talking about all these different things. And I'm very skeptical by nature. (laughs) And I, I tend to like tiptoe into things because I know like you can't just trust anyone blindly. Right. And so I always wish there was an easier way or framework I could use. And so this kind of solved that problem for me. Now I feel more confident when I'm given information, I can be like, oh, great, perfect. You know, let me go through this little framework I have. And if it passes, I'm totally open to experiencing this or trying this out. It helped me to name the gray area that we all feel, but can't quite put a finger on. So I think that was very 
very useful. Again, I, you know, I tend to be skeptical until evidence proves otherwise because my parents raised me to believe that if something seems too good to be true, it probably is. Of course, you use that mentality in healthy doses. Like I do believe you can attract wonderful things into your life in abundance and quickly if you're aligned. But if someone says they have a way you can get rich quick and it's free, my alarm bells would absolutely ring. Again, it's that balance of the Socratic versus the ecstatic. And as for you listening, may I suggest taking the knowledge you learned from this episode and reflecting on what hit home for you? Make a list of any ideologies or practices of spirituality that you've tried or wanted to, and it hasn't felt 100% right. Maybe it's crystals or birth charts. Maybe it's the online culture. Ask yourself why they don't feel right and let the pen flow or let your mind wander as you walk. It's always good to just let the information sit and see what it reveals for you. So take yourself again through those four questions that you can ask yourself that I mentioned earlier. It's okay to be honest with yourself. It's okay to let the thoughts flow. And if you feel so inspired, please share what your biggest takeaways were from this episode because I know I can't be the only person that thinks this is the coolest topic and is so fascinated by like these new convergences and blends of different parts of us coming out in the open like this. So go to the comment section in our show notes that's linked and I would love to hear what you discover. Now it's time for an affirmation. I stay positively planted in the present and embrace both the Socratic and ecstatic part of my being. If you found today's tips inspiring or thought-provoking, share it right now on social media and make sure to tag me at Francesca A. Phillips or at Find Your Good Space and also weigh in in the comment section at findyourgoodspace.com. You can find links in the show notes. And if you have a spiritual or mindfulness problem that you want me to unpack on an upcoming The Good Space episode or an awesome manifesting story you want to share, give my podcast phone line a ring right now at 917-719-0867. Also, don't forget to download my free morning routine guide. It's what helps me reduce my anxiety, increase productivity, and so much more. The link to everything I mentioned is in the show notes. See you soon.